Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. This is episode 52. Now it's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast episode and we did one in the lead up to the Go Fish Nagambi competition that feels like time has flied since then. I sat down with Karen Rees. Uh, we talked a little bit about her background, the Go Fish comp, uh, Worth and a few other things and then that was only uh, not even two weeks before the Go Fish Nagambi comp. It come around. It was an incredible event. So much went on. Uh, it was great to be there this year obviously last year was cancelled due to covid the event went ahead it was beautiful weather um i talked to so many keen anglers who had such a great time heaps of fish record as well and it was a, it was another great time and time has flown since then we actually tacked on the back of that uh trip myself and Hocko were lucky enough to meet up with et down there we did a couple of days filming with him uh we happened to run into him on the way out of the event jack talked to him during the event um quite a bit and we were leaving on the sunday to go do some mapping happened to run into him uh and he needed to catch fish for his episode so we said why don't you come with us for a fish so we took him down the goldwyn river um very close to Nagambi and fished out of the kayaks and then we took him to Mawaila for an episode. So we filmed some really cool content with him. That was awesome. And then being home on the computer, doing a lot, and the time has just flown. So I'm excited, guys, to release another podcast episode for you. Now, if you're a member, you will be following along with everything that's been going on, all the new content we've been putting up. And that's what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is pumping up some content inside the SF membership, including a cracking surface video from one of our river sessions chasing meter cod on the surface so that one has just gone up and it is an awesome video you'll see some clips uh, on social media later this week uh, with a bit of a preview of that um, of that surface session so make sure you check that out and keep an eye on our Facebook and Instagram page now let's jump into what we're talking about in this episode now this is a little bit different to ones that we have done in the past they a lot of them will concentrate around lure fishing and this one is where bread and butter where it all starts at bait fishing now i grew up bait fishing it was great fun i couldn't tell you how many carp i caught on bread and corn at lake albert in wagga growing up as a kid so many carp um, and that's how we learned we learned with bait they, they taught us how to fight um, carp themselves taught us how to fight fish they, we learned a lot of lessons chasing carp and we did it all with bait now this is a cool episode i really enjoyed actually sitting down and talking with chris in this episode and that's right i'm joined by chris cottrell no better man to be sitting down and talking about bait fishing he grew up bait fishing as well and still does it today with his kids because it's a great way to get his his girls into fishing pretty much because lure fishing can be a tough game when it comes to fishing with kids bait is the way to go uh, and there's a lot of people who still love getting out there and soaking a bait. Now, bait fishing is quite, can be quite simple, but we're going to share a few tips and things that we've learned over the years to how to improve your bait fishing from the baits, to how you fish it, to where you fish it, uh, a whole heap of cool information in this podcast. It's a good chat between Chris and myself, and I hope you guys enjoy. So without further ado, let's jump in and talk about bait fishing with the one and only Chris Cottrell. Hey guys and welcome back to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. We are back 
in the half sort of studio that we use. <laughs> in anyway, we're back face to face, which is good because yeah, yeah. I've had oh, it'd have to be a month, no, it'd be more, more than a month of recording all via Skype. Um, I did one with Skype with Tal. I avoided doing, I don't think I did one on Skype with you, Chris, but nah. we're back. It feels like it's you been just, ages, just, hey? just try to avoid it altogether. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's been a while, eh, hey, since we Yeah, no, nah, it's nuts. Last time I was here, it was, we were wearing shorts and T-shirts. We've all been in hibernation, so that's good. And um, the last one we did was the cotton surface. Mm. So mm. we talked, the, we did that for summer, sort of March period. Yeah, we did. And now it's we're now be, we're talking about winter cod and trout and all things um, cool weather. Yeah, exactly. But uh, guys, we're back for another episode. I want to thank Chris for coming around and joining me in this one. Now, in this particular episode, we are going to be talking about bait fishing. Different curve to normal, mate. This is uh, like we've talked about this before. A lot of people want to know about bait fishing, and uh, and I've got a I've got a big passion for it. I, I obviously cut my teeth as you did. You know, drowning worms for our for our native species, or fishing in the river, or fishing for carp. So, um, and you know, it's a really, really good topic. It is, and there'll be a lot of people that won't even listen to this, obviously, no. because the whole word bait is in it. And my myself, I being a mad keen lure fisherman these mm. days. I myself probably wouldn't listen to this, but for people who do love bait fishing, want to get kids into fishing, yeah. want to take a friend fishing, just want to relax and sit down, but don't have any idea how to do it, this mm. we're going to cover some good stuff in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to make a bold statement before we even start. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people will probably disagree with you. Bait fishing can be just as technical and just as, I don't know, high in a thought process as lure fishing if you put your mind to it. Yeah, I agree. But it's 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 you put you get out as much as you put in. It's a bit like lure fishing. People can tie on a lure, and just cast randomly without thinking. Yeah. And people do that with bait fishing. People just grab a bit of bait, chuck it in the river, chuck a bit of cheese on, and and that's as far as their thought process goes. If you go into further into depth with bait fishing and you start to really think about how you apply it, it can be just as technical, and you can catch you know amazing fish doing it. Yes. Yes. I would almost say. Some situations, maybe not, but I reckon 70% of the time you will catch more fish bait fishing oh, absolutely. than you would lure fishing. You may not, in certain, in certain instances, you may not get uh, the size, um, but when it comes down, but that also comes down to your approach too. Mm. So if you chuck on a small bait and go chuck in the river, you'll catch heaps of rats and that's good fun, especially if you have kids or you're, you're time poor and you just want to feel a fish on any of your line. You know, that, that's great. You know, and um, you will catch more numbers, 100%. You, I've, I've had places where I've sat there and I've chucked lures and against a log and I didn't turn a scale where my mm. daughter's come over the corner with a piece of cheese and she's pulled a cod out of it. Yeah, yeah. So don't get me wrong, you, you'll catch fish, but, you know, it's you'll get out of this podcast uh, what you put into it. If you have a think about your, the application of how you bait fish, I guarantee you can catch some quality fish. Yeah, and I know a few people who use bait actively like they do with lures. Mm. So instead of using a lure, they use a bait mm. instead and because it is as natural as it gets, there's mm. still basically the art of lure fishing, but with a bait instead of a soft plastic, mm, yeah. you catch an insane fish. So we'll touch on those techniques as sure. well. So to start with, that was a little bit of an introduction. Uh, what we want to talk about is, first of all, if you're just getting into it, it's the gear that you need. So we're talking rods, reels, line. Mm -hmm. um, we'll t break it up into two segments. We'll talk about gear for say river fishing for cod and yellows, yep. bait fishing gear. Yep. Then we might touch a little bit on lighter stuff that you would use for say trout, maybe yellows in the dam uh, and redfin. Sure. And then we'll talk uh, a bit about the bait and we'll even touch on bait collection. So first of all, let's touch on cod and yellows gear for the river. If someone was looking for a rod, not exactly what brand to get, mm -hmm. but we're looking for what kind of rod would you recommend, length, 
Um, sure. So for, for, for my area around here, the Murrumbidgee River, now I have two setups which I suggest. So if you are absolutely, most people who are just cutting their teeth in the fishing, you know, you know, this is the introduction to the fishing and it, it's fantastic because, you know, it's all, everything's new. So you don't want to go, you know what, you need a really, really expensive outfit. You need to go top of the line line. So what I suggest generally is a six foot, four to eight kg rod. Mm -hmm. um, you can have it either graphite or fiberglass. I suggest fiberglass to start yep. off with. That was the main thing I want to touch on. So explain why fiberglass. Fiberglass is a bit more forgiving, especially if you're starting to learn how to fish. Uh, now, like I said, if, if, if you're an experienced angler and you've been around the game for a long time, by all means, go graphite. You know, mm -hmm. If you know how to handle your rod, you know how to treat it correctly, then fine. If you're only new to fishing and you're getting into bait fishing, or if you've got young kids, 100% go fiberglass because if you high stick those rods or you know you happen to fumble or get a bit excited, especially kids, well kids will generally walk with their rod tips down, they'll jam Smack into the ground, yeah. they'll treat them like rubbish. Get a, get a, a, a good quality fiberglass rod, four to eight kg. Um, I generally have a reel around about a 3,000 or a 4,000 size reel. Yeah, so uh, decent size, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and, and this, is where, this is also where my outfits sort of vary as well. Um, 20 pound mono all the way through 20 mm -hmm. 25 pound mono mm -hmm. for the beginner mm -hmm. um, for the more advanced person who wants um, to go run a graphite rod once again four to four to eight kg rod or five to eight kg rod and generally run around about 30 pound now mono still nah braid braid so right. that's on your graphite rod you run your braid if you if you're competent enough to run a graphite rod Go braid because you're going to get the most out of it. You're going to get the most feel out of feel it. Feel out of it, yeah. If you're just beginning, run with a, a fiberglass outfit. Uh, run 20 pound. Now, it does seem a lot lighter, but because you're going to have a lot more stretch in your line too, um, you're going to actually be able to get those fish in. It's not going to be a great deal. And the other thing, like you're saying, is 20, well, you weren't saying, but 20 pounds is a lot thicker in mono. Yeah, absolutely. So you don't want to go 30. You're not going to fit as much on the line. It's going to no. be messy. So you're going to get a lot more, neat. You're going to get a lot more overruns and, you know, you know, when you're first learning how to cast or, you know, your kids are learning how to cast, 20 pounds, you know, it, it still gives you a, a, you know, a chance at a yellow. It's not too heavy. They're going to pick the bait up and they're going to feel there's something not quite right. And if you hook onto a good size cod, you know, you've got a good chance of getting it in. When with, only, with your braided side, 30 pound braid, you know, it's got a diameter of eight pound mono. It's thin. And also, if you've got a spin rod and you're, you're bait fishing, you know, if you hook onto a good cod, you've got a good chance of getting it in. And also lends you into getting used to feeling what your bait's doing and that which will in turn, you know, if you want to go for a cast of lure later on down the track, it's a good outfit to start. Yeah. It's a, it's a good gradual outfit. But yeah, so for your, for your basic mono outfit, 3,000, 4,000 size reel, 4 to 8 kg rod, 6 foot, 2 piece, 20 pound mono. And on the other one, if you want to go a little bit more advanced, same size reel, go a graphite rod, go a 2 piece. Cod Raiders do a good outfit, about a six footer, and um, yeah, run 30 pound braid. Yeah, and then if you are running braid, do you tie, you have to tie a leader knot, or do you tie a swivel, or? No, stay, stay away from your swivels. Uh, learn, and this, is, this is that sort of step up from running mono. You know, you, you're, you're learning now how to tie a leader knot, so this is something I don't suggest beginners to learn because there's too much to think about it and you're going to get and i see so many people going in and listen i want to learn how to bait fish i want to go braid and I want to go leader and they get sick of it and they, they're like i don't know how to tie leader knots this is too complicated you know and you that's know, a lot a lot of people oh, absolutely just, just want the basics hey? yeah and that's the thing if you if you make things too hard in the start they're, 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 they're not going to enjoy it and they're, yeah. they're going to drop it so try and keep it as simple as you possibly can 
So yeah, learn how to tie, and with it with a spin outfit, you can tie a bulky knot like a back to back uni. Yeah. Off you go, and then you can learn how to do FG knots and Albright knots and fusions after that. But yeah. yeah. Keep it very simple. So you tie a leader knot yeah, and absolutely. then run a leader. Now with the leaders, you run like three rod lengths, so that way you've got a little bit of play with snagging and snapping and tying I, hooks I, or not, just one rod length. I, I, like, to, I like to run a, a length of line that is about three wraps onto the reel, so a decent amount of leader line. Okay. Um, so especially if you're casting with a spin outfit, you want that mono on your finger. Um, Kids will cut their fingers on braid mm -hmm. with an egg beater. So, um, and use an egg beater. Don't go using, when you're trying to learn how to bait fish, using a bait caster. Yeah, you're talking That's, about spin outfits. Yeah, yeah spin outfits. Don't, don't use a bait caster. That's a, it can, for an introductory level, it can be absolutely pain in the backside. So, yeah. stick to your thread line outfits and you'll be right as rain. Um, and yeah, but run a leader at length, about two or three wraps all on, the, on your spool. And you're off, you're ready to go. So you're talking about a full rod length, full plus rod length, three wraps plus on the three spool. Rolling, plus two or three laps onto your spool. That way, it'll cover your finger when you go to yep. cast, um, and you've got enough stretch there too, um, in that in that leader material to you know, have a bit of shock value too. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. So that's your that's your setups if you're just fishing any kind of river throughout mm. all of New South Victoria, yep. Queensland. You just want to bait fish. Yep. Now you're you're running straight mono or you got your leader right mm -hmm. off your more advanced one what kind of rigs are we looking for the most basic simple easiest rig for someone to use mm -hmm. uh, and then with that rig what kind of sinkers hooks do we want to run i know the hooks vary depending on the bait so mm. once you get to the hooks let's talk about what different hooks for sure. what species okay so for me i if i'm using a thread line outfit i like to use a, a running sinker rig but i like to run a bit of a leader so what that means is you, you slide your sinker on first, allow for about 30 to 40 centimetres. Yeah. And then what I do, and these are probably the most inexpensive things you can buy down at your tackle shop and they're, they're an absolute time saver. Now, a lot of people will put their sinker on, they'll cut their line, mm -hmm. add a swivel, mm -hmm. and then 40 centimetres line, 30 centimetres <coughs> line, and add their hook. Mm -hmm. Now, getting started, that can be a little bit complicated for someone. So... I like to dull it down even more. So get a packet of red beads. Simple as that. Little tiny red tiny beads. Tiny red beads we use behind Tassie Devils yep. or, or, you know. So what you do, you put your sinker on first, slide your red bead on. Now allow for about 30 to 40 centimetres. And all you do is just put that line back through that red bead twice. Now there is no cutting, there is no joining your line. Yep. And that red bead works as a stopper. Right. So then you have your 30 centimetres worth of line and then you tie your hook on. So really, when you're getting started, there is only one knot you need to do out of that whole rig. Mm -hmm. That's it. So sinker on, bead on, loop your line back through it two or three times so it works as a stopper. So you've gone through once yep. the main time and then go back, back through, it. through the same way, pull it through and back again. And that'll lock that bead in and there yeah. is no cutting and joining. A lot of people when they're, especially if you don't come from a fishing background, trying to tell someone, okay, you put your sinker on first, then you cut your line, allow 30 centimetres, put a swivel on, do a blood knot, then do another blood knot, then hand, then tie a hook on the end. There's three knots there before you even get your, your worm on your hook and that can really confuse people. So if I sit there and go, listen, all you need, red bead, put your sinker on first, put your bead on, go through your red bead three times, that works as your sinker stopper. Yep. Then a, a 30, 40 centimetres worth of line, then tie your hook. Now, that'll allow that 
that bait to be picked up and there'll be no resistance whatsoever. So that's the point of it. You basically got your weight away from Away your from bait your hook. So that, that basically they can pick it up, grab it. You have a think about it. You've, if, a, if a fish picks up a shrimp or a worm or a grub or in anything, the, the last thing they want to feel is three ounces of lead. Now, a lot of people will run your sinker straight to your hook. I tend to find even that in, in certain instances can be, especially if you're using small baits, very, very unnatural. The first thing a, a yellow belly will pick up when it picks up three worms is a size three sinker. Yeah. And you'll get a tap, 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 and it's gone. And they're like, oh yeah, wait, 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 tap, tap, gone. That's because it's, it's, it knows that it, you shouldn't have a mouthful of lead when you pick up two worms. Yeah. So allowing that 30 centimeters worth of line, and that's with any sort of fishing, really. I like to have a nice leader. Um, will make that presentation feel a lot more natural. Yeah, cool. So that's that's the way to go. Mm. And then <clears throat> if we're fishing for cod, mm. what kind of hook and what size in a sort of a range? Okay. And then obviously it depends on the bait. And then obviously with yellows, we're using a smaller hook, eh? Yeah. So in the rivers, um, uh, I'll, I'll start with the sinker sizes. So when it comes down to using what sinker, a rule of thumb is the lightest you possibly can. Without the current, without the current your pushing bait. your bait, the yeah. only like a size three bean sinker for me is the heaviest weight I will use anywhere. Now, um, a good rule of thumb is if you're using a size three bean sinker and your bait is still moving and you're not using, a, I'm talking a, a six ounce yabby on the end of it, if your bait is still going, you're in the wrong spot. Mm. So if there's that much current and there is that much flow and your bait is still moving after using that much lead. And a lot of people will sit there and go, I had to tie four sinkers on the end of my line because my bait was still moving. Like, did you catch anything? Nah. Well, they're not racehorses. They're not going to sit in fast water. So have a look at, if you put your bait in and it's still shifting, chances are, if it's that much current, your native fish aren't going to be sitting there. You might find a trout. I don't know. But for your native fish, for your cod and your yellow, so look at your structure, look around and go, right here, where's the slowest pit of water? And then... Then reintroduce your bait. If it sits on the bottom nice and comfortably, that's where you need to fish. So sinker size relative to the waterway. So don't go any heavier than a three. You know, you can get away with about a size one. Hook size for golden perch, I generally stick to a size one or a one-o. And that'll one or one-o. One or one-o. One. What type of hook? For golden perch, I generally use a bait holder. If you're getting started, use a bait holder. If you want to set and forget sort of rod because your kids are running around like crazy and you're going to miss a bite run a circle hook they're the best hooks you can use yeah golden perch will pick them up they'll go swim off with them and it'll pin them nice and neatly in the corner of the jaw same size circle one. yeah i generally go probably a, a 1-0 to a 2-0 on a circle hook because they tend to have a smaller sort of gape um must add do a really good one um and yeah, and lightly pin your, your shrimp or your worms. You know, you want a lot of gape with a circle hook because, yeah. you know, if you clog it up full of bait, they won't pin in the corner of jaw. But and that's pretty simple, yeah. That or, or a bait holder. Bait yeah. holders are quite a good hook. Bait holders are good, especially <laughs> if you're sitting by your rod and you're, you're watching what your rod's doing. Bait holders are great because... You can strike. You can strike. Um, for Murray Cod, now a lot of people will think when it comes to Murray Cod, I go pretty large on my hooks. Um, I go from a four row upwards. Well, wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't stuff around. Even even a, a fifty centimeter Murray cod will has a big mouth. Yeah, they'll they'll happily take down and you know a five o or six o, um, you know, hook relatively easily. Um, you know, so where I start with my if you're using cheese for example, and a lot of guys who are cutting their teeth on chasing cod will use cheese or you know small yabbies. 
Um, I generally suggest around about a, probably a four-row um, circle hook or a four-row octopus suicide hook. Yep. Um, if you're going to your impoundments and you're running bigger baits, you're running big yabbies, big grubs, 10 circles. Um, 10 circles. What about wide gap hooks? Wide gap or car high hooks are really, really good, um, especially for golden perch. They, they, they've got a really good hook up rate. Yeah, and, yeah. And they, they do the exact same job. They, they As will a pin circle, them. Yeah. yeah. So in your, in your wide gaps for your golden perch, I generally use a size one. And if I'm using wide gaps for Murray Cod, I generally use an 8 Yeah. So we're looking between 4 and 8. For Murray Cod. For your wide gaps, your circles, and what was the other one? Uh, octopus suicide hooks. But I tend to, I tend not, when I'm targeting Murray Cod, I tend not to use bait holders or suicide hooks as, lot, as much as a lot of people do like them because when a Murray Cod will suck down the bait, it, you know, there's a really, really high chance it's going to end up down their, down their guts. So big circle. Big circle, big wide gaps are probably the way to go. Yeah, because they're not going to get stuck. So the bigger the hook, the less chance it's going down its throat. Absolutely. And the more chance it's actually not going to just catch at the back of the throat and it'll come out and hook them in the corner of the jaw. Well, if you have a look at the, the anatomy of a Murray Cod, now wide gaps, wide gap hooks, car high hooks or circle hooks, um, they design the pin in the corner of the jaw. So you've got to think about the size of the bait and the size of the fish you're targeting. You know, you, you might get away with using a 4-0 or a 5-0 circle hook and it might pin a cod in the corner of the jaw. But there's actually quite a bit of gristle and there's quite a bit of meat in the corner of that jaw. You have a small closed uh, circle hook, it, it won't be able to fit in there. So you have to use something significant. Now, when I, when I pull out a packet of Tannos and I tell a person who's going to Blaring, they're gonna soak a big yabby or a grub for a cod, and they look at it and they go, geez, you could use it for a shark. And then you show them a photo of a, a cod that's got its mouth open, you could fit your head in and True. go, there's, you know, you're looking at nearly half an inch worth of gristle in that, in that corner of that jaw where this hook's supposed to sit, you, you need a decent hook. And yeah. by no means, the Tano, when you put the bait on it and you look at the, the, the enormity of those cod's mouths, is a large hook and plus you know you don't want something light and flimsy when you've got something that could be 70 80 pound mm. pulling on that hook so you know it's a bit like looking at the trebles on your lures you, you want something that's going to be strong so look for a, a good quality hook uh gamakatsu owner um shinto really really good and have a feel of it if, if it's starting to, if you pull it and it starts to flex chances are it's too soft it's too light yeah, yeah. look for something that's got a decent amount of um you know good gape and really really solidly built yeah, so you're going to look for a bigger hook rather than a small hook when it comes to cod. Not yeah. so much goldens because they've got nah. a mouth, small with, mouth. With, with golds, I don't generally go with anything over one o. One o. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And if you and so with the baits, um, if you're fishing in a river, a creek system, mm. what are some of the key baits that we want to use for cod and yellows? Um, and then obviously, if we're fishing the dams, you want to use big things like huge yabbies mm. and big grubs, pretty much. Mm. They're the go-tos for the dams. Um, and as you mentioned before, you can use things like chicken breast and that to catch mm. cod, cheese as well. But in the dams, you can't go past a big yabby, or probably a big yabby is the, the yeah. number one. Big big yabbies are the go. And then if we're in a river, what are the what are the go-to so, baits? So this this is where this is where you can get as basic or as complicated as you want. And this is where you really start to cut your teeth into understanding um, how a river system works and where this will, in the long run, teach you how to become a better lure fisherman. So nine times out of 10, I would source, when I was a kid, I would source all of my bait where I was fishing. I, I, I may have turned up to the river with a couple of worms, but for the most part, I would carry around a shrimp pot, I'd carry around a shovel, I'd carry around a grub coil, 
Yeah. Um, and I would source all of my bait from where I was fishing. And you would find where you're sourcing the, the most amount of bait is generally the best fishing area. So you start to also associate those areas later on down, down the track into areas where to target with lures. So willow trees, submerged willow trees is where you're going to be chucking your shrimp pots in. Right. And you're looking for those warmer waters where the, um, the sun's exposed itself the longest amount of time around those willow edges and those reedy banks where those shrimp are going to be. So that's where I chuck my shrimp pot in, a handful of uh, dog biscuits and a bit of soap, and you chuck it in there and you'd get your shrimp. The The area between the where the water laps and about three foot up from it, where I get a lot of leaf debris, is where I'd find these really, really monster worms. Right, okay. So... Those areas there, once I got a four or five of those massive big worms, especially if a river was rising, that's where I'd target with my golden perch as well. So yeah. worms, shrimp, and when the season is right, uh, talking around about January, February, I would chip body grubs around the trees around the edges. Because when the do they line. hatch? April? Anzac Day is generally the cutoff point where you can generally get them. Once around about Anzac Day, you're going to start seeing a lot of grub, uh, body grub. I've uh, seen them this way. Yeah, they're, they're, they'll start uh -huh. after any rain after around about Anzac Day, you'll start seeing the big moths bouncing around. And you don't want to chip them too close to that because they're turned into the moth shells they turn and they turn into goop. Yeah, yeah, so you end up with a whole hook full of slime. So, so January, February. Yeah, yeah. So January, school holidays used to be my, like, as soon as the school holiday started when I was a kid, I was chipping flat out. And that's probably partly the reason why I, I can't use cheese because I spent better part of, you know, five or six years ripping my hands apart and I just can't do it now. No, yeah. I can't bring myself to do it. I'm too, I'm, yeah, holding too much high regard. But yeah, big yabbies too. Um, if you've got a lot of the, you know, your farm dams or your lagoons that run off the river, a couple of pots in there during summertime and, you know, even saving a few for later on down the year when it gets colder, um, you know, this is, this is the area where you're identifying structure or you're identifying bait holding areas and you know later on down the track when you look at it in lure terms you're like right oh well that bank there's littered with willow trees and reedy and reedy areas that's where yellows are going to hang out yeah. that spindly timber or you know that overhanging gum tree there with all those big holes underneath it i know the moths are going to be around there landing they're going to be dropping there that's going to be an awesome place for surface mm. so this is a bait fishing is um, something that when you cut your teeth on it all that information. Transition. It transitions. You sit there and you'll learn, go, right, I, you know, even as far as, you know, looking at the banks where you've got, you know, your sparrows or your, your swallows nesting in them, you, you start to become more you know, in tuned with the environment around you. If you yep. get straight into lure fishing and you don't cut, sort of cut your teeth on that bait sort of element, you know, you're missing a massive part of your education. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes of the Social Fishing Podcast, you will know about the SF membership. Now, I just want to take a quick break from the chat with Chris to talk to you about what's been happening inside the membership of late. Now, if you don't know about it, the Social Fishing membership is a platform that basically we created to help you catch more fish. We had so many questions come through on social media about so many different things and to answer those questions and more, we created this platform. There's no online platform like it at all around and we give you so much content not only content in terms of videos and articles to teach you how to fish we've also got support a community in there a community base of people that are willing to help we've got maps online digital maps now i want to talk a little bit more about them 
And then we've also got updated fishing reports. Now, one thing I wanted to touch on is the articles and videos. Like this episode, we're talking about bait fishing. We have just released a video on bait fishing and it goes into more detail on what we've been talking about in this episode. So we go, Chris and I spend some time on the river and he shows you how to rig your baits, what baits to use, how to fish them and catches a few fish on camera. Plus there's a stack of other videos in there on both lure fishing, bait fishing, from cod to trout, everything you could need. It is continually growing. Now the main thing I want to talk to you about is the SF maps. Now if you're not sure where to go, how to access different waterways, what fish are in the system, how you should be fishing, what's biting. They're the questions that we all ask ourselves. Have a think. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I'd love to go to this spot, but I've got no idea where to go or I don't know if the fish are biting and you're sort of puzzled as to where to go and you end up just going to the same spot all the time. I had this issue as well and you can waste complete trips just guessing and doing research. It can be fun from time to time, but you miss out on a lot of opportunities. So what I decided to do was travel to all of these waterways Put down all the access points, where's good bank fishing, where you can put a boat in if you need a full drive for the boat, if you don't, where are some cracking camp spots, and then also how the fish behave in that system. Now, we started with lakes and dams. We have nine currently available on the SF membership. We're continually growing the maps. We have a few more that have already been filmed. We've been out and collected the information, and they are going up soon, and then we're going to be moving on to rivers. This winter, we are looking at doing the Murrumbidgee and the Murray River and the Goulburn River in Victoria, and we're going to continually add to them and those maps will have information on what the waterway is like through that area all the camp spots like i said photos of the camp spots so you can actually see is it a great camp spot or is it an okay camp spot because sometimes my favorite thing is the camping right beside where you're fishing so there's a few of the things that are inside the sf membership and inside the sf maps now you can join you can become the newest member you can join the ever-growing platform the platform is growing so quickly and if you are a member i thank you so much for your support and you can jump on and check out more at socialfishing.com.au so all you need to do is go to socialfishing.com.au hit the join button in the top right hand corner and then find the sf membership check it out become a member and get access to some incredible content that we share inside so guys that's it for that now let's jump back to the episode talking all things bait fishing with chris Yeah, it's kind of like with fly fishing with trout. Fly fishers are so keyed into the bugs, the insects, what happens, you know, your nymphs, what hatches they're, they're catching. I notice I've been fishing with some, they'll catch a bug and go, yeah, that's what colour it is, or this is what it looks like, or its wings are a bit higher than... You very, you're and, very, yeah, you very and, rarely walk down. You, you never see a fly angler walk straight down, pull a fly blindly out of their, out of their box and tie it on. They'll turn over rocks. They'll look, right. Oh, what nymphs have we got here? We've got snails here. What, what's hatching? Mm. You know, and that's how, if you do that as a bait angler... It Even will... for cotton yellows. You, Absolutely. You, there's things in the environment. So, so for people, when they're chucking your bait in the water, don't cast it out in the middle of the river is pretty no. much what you're getting at. Yeah. Fishing two foot off the bank, just dropping the bait beside yeah. the bank is where you're going to have your fish because that's where the bait is. That's where the fish are in feeding. Exactly right. There's, there's no use collecting, collecting all your bait you know, right in front of a willow tree or, you know, you're getting getting all this great tucker then going, right, I'm going to carry all this 90 metres up here where it's a nice big flat open sandy bank where I can sit there and crack my esky open and have a beer and cast it out. The, the fish are hunting where you're collecting your bait. Yeah. So if, if you start to crack a rhythm and go, right, I'm getting worms here, or I'm getting shrimp here, I'm catching yabbies here or barter grubs are over there, like have a think about it going, right, well, all the food's here, so when are the fish going to be feeding this area, you know? And you know, start to play around with those 
you know, those rigs and you, I guarantee you'll catch more fish. Mm. If you start to think more in depth to it rather than just putting a worm on a hook and just casting Chucking it out, out blindly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with, um, there's some of your, some of those baits, right? Yeah. What are your other more sort of... Unnatural sort of baits? Yeah, processed baits. That <laughs> <laughs> um, cod wheat and why do they eat them? Okay, so, um, so the, the, the big ones, especially around now, obviously is cheese, uh, chicken, um, prawns. Yeah, saltwater prawns, um, prawns, and you know, in trout, um, saltwater mussels, mm-hmm. and cockles as well. Um, native fish are very, very opportunistic. In, in particular, Murray cod. Murray, I've seen Murray cod eat some truly horrendous things. So they're more of a an opportunistic sort of a feeder. Um, and why do they eat those things? Is it it's because the fat? content well, and the smell well, of them. Cheese, for example, yeah, it's it's 100%. And like a lot of people have told me over the years, oh, it's because the shrimp get on the cheese. Now, the next person who tells me that, I will slap with a phone book. Now, because I, I tested this theory out when it first came out. So I had cheese on one and I had a ball of live shrimp on the other and they were literally a foot apart. The cheese just got smashed all day. I did not get a touch from the shrimp, not one. So then... I started using light cheese, not a touch. Could yeah. not, you take away, and you have a look of it, you get a body grub and you put it in the, a body grub or a wood grub, you, you put it in the water and you put a hook in it and you get that stream of oil and fat that comes off it. So basically, you know, all, all a grub is, is just fat protein. Yeah. With cheese, it's exactly the same. Leaks the, and, a lot and that's of fat. why they say the cheapest cheese works best because it is. It's loaded with fat. fat. Yeah. So, you know, if you leave your cheese out in the sun to let it really sort of ripen up before you put it on a hook so it's oozing that oil, you'll have much better success. Yeah. So, chicken, on the other hand, a lot of people use chicken. I, I don't find that altogether an unusual bait considering I've seen ducks and I've seen galahs get taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, just, it's just meat to them. Yeah. Um, once again, you know, I've, I've seen fish take some really, really weird stuff. So that, that, that doesn't really surprise me. Um, like I said, Murray cod are very, very opportunistic. If they find themselves a feed, they'll take it. And based on the fact that they're eating the fat, you're probably going to have more success on a thigh than mm. you would a breast. Yeah, absolutely. If you use thigh fillet, that high fat, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's what they prefer or it's easier for them to find because it the is. scent is greater. Yeah. Yeah. So if you sat there and you put on a piece of breast meat and you put on a piece of thigh fillet and you put them both in front of a hungry cod, I don't think he's going to sit there and pick one over the other. No, my I fish think eats it, both. Yeah, I think it's more to the point that it helps them find it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. 100%. And then you can add scents to stuff like that. Like people will add parmesan cheese or I'll, I'll, I like that when I'm taking my kids fishing, I'll add, if I'm using chicken or I'm using cheese because... It's an easy bait to source before I get fishing. I'll um, put it in a, a sandwich bag and I'll put olive oil in it. Why is that? Because it, that, that oil soaks into that bait and it creates a scent trail. So yeah, right. I'll go a couple of teaspoons of oil, a bit of S-factor, and I'll rub it into that to that bait. Yeah. And you can chuck it in the water 30 foot away from you and you can see it coming up to the surface. Right. And that's also spreading the down. Oil slick, yeah, not the bait, the yeah, oil. Yeah, and that's also spreading down the river. So yeah. it, it's bringing fish up. And another handy key thing, we'll talk about techniques for bait fishing in a minute, but I want to touch on it now before I forget, is if you are bait fishing in anything that is flowing, anything that has current, mm. if you have a log, a willow, you have a good bit of structure, mm. put your bait on the upstream side yeah, of the absolutely. log. Massive key thing. So if you're coming to a willow, don't put the bait 
on the back end of the willow, no. if there's nothing below it that you really want to be targeting, put your bait upstream of the key piece of structure. Yeah. Or if you're fishing in a willow tree, put it in the middle of the willow tree. Mm. But chances are is you're going to attract fish from below, especially if there's good current going yeah. through there. You, you, you want that scent going downstream to, to bring those fish up. And up. If, you're fishing, if you're fishing behind your structure, um, maybe to an extent if you've got a, a, an all right backwash. Yes. Um, but you know that scent. The, the most the most active, the most you know aggressive fish that are feeding are always going to be in f like heading in front of that structure, looking towards anything that's coming downstream. And they'll smell. And they'll smell it. Another good thing is a lot of people chuck a bait out there, and they will put in the rod holder, and they'll wait for an hour. Mm. Don't do that. Now, you've had a pet cod. You've got a pet cod. I've had a pet cod. You'll know the most exciting, the excited they get is from a falling bait. Now, whether or not they act upon that as it gets down through the tank, if it gets too far away from them, they might get really, 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 really keen and they'll sit back down and they'll wait to get a bit closer. Mm -hmm. Chuck it in, allow it to get to the bottom. Now, this is where a little bit more in-depth thinking goes into your bait fishing. Don't just chuck it out at the snag and leave it there. Look at your snag and go, right, where is that fish going to sit? Okay. That's, if you look at it, same as, a, as a, you were lure fishing, you've got a root ball, you've got the log coming down. Where you'd place a lure, which would be in front of that root ball, start there. Cast it in there, allow your bait to get down, and sit there. Give it 10 minutes, pull it back in, chuck it back out there, let it get back down. But move it a little bit each time. Move it a tiny bit each time and work that log. Yeah. Just the same as you would a lure. And this is, the, this, is the, that, this is that little bit more in-depth. So, you know, you can, you can fish on level one or you can fish on level 10. Mm. This is more of a thinking and doing sort of approach. So you then cover your structure the same as you would with a lure and you work along it. Once you've done that, you have a look at your bait. You go, right, oh, that hasn't worked. I'll go to my next bit of structure. Yeah. Now, if you've done that to three or four logs and, you still ha and you're pretty confident there's fish there, then you even have to go into depth a bit more. Right, is the bait I'm, is the bait I'm using not right? Yeah. Is my approach not right? Am I using too much weight? Yeah. This is this is the more in depth thinking that an angler needs to do to progress. Yeah. Further and further and to become better and better. So you know, I might sit there and I might chuck a bait out there and go right. I will. I might say use a whole yabby and I'll go all the way down that log and go right. I know there's a fish there. So what I'll do is I'll pull that bait in, I'll take the head off that yabby, I'll peel the tail all the way back. I might even consider going to a lighter line and a lighter sinker, and then I'll chuck it back out and I'll see what it does. Yeah, yeah. Nine times out of ten, if I make that profile a little bit smaller and I make it a little bit more finesse, I'll start getting bites. You might pick up, you know, goldens you, or you something. You might pick up goldens or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you might get a fish, and that's turning a, you know, a duck egg into a good day. Mm. So yeah, to think it's a thinking game. Back to what you were saying about the uh, um, about how long you fish on a log. I would say yeah, five to ten minutes. Mm. Move it, five to ten minutes. Move it, and then move spots. Yeah, absolutely. I would say yeah, even yeah, even move within ten minutes. If you're fishing the front of the log, move. Maybe go inside the willow. Mm. Move the other side. I continually move when you bait fish. Do not sit up. No. Bait fish for an hour. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, I got a fish though in that hour. A lot of times you would have got three or four fish if you had it moved. If you, cover, if you covered your water effectively and you covered that area, um, like I said, an aggressive, hungry feeding fish, um, if he hasn't hit you in 10 minutes, he's not gonna, he, the chances are you know, it's, it's not going to drastically improve in the next no. hour. Yeah, exactly. So keep moving your bait. Once you pull your bait in too, every time you pull your bait in, have a look at it. If, it, if it's cheese, you know, give it a scratch to really bring that scent back up. 
if it's a yabby or a worm and you're looking at your worms and they're all hanging from the bottom of your hook, pull them back up, represent them make, them, make them look pretty and represent that back into the water. And also with the cheese, after it's been on for half an hour or more, it goes really white pale. Mm. It's because all the fat's been yeah, soaked exactly out right. of it, so take it off, put on a new piece. Exactly right. So when you were talking about shrimp, you get a shrimp pot, super easy, mm. put dog biscuits or aniseed soap, soap mm. in that. That's all you need. I've got aniseed blocker soap in mine. I just leave it in there mm. and it, it fine, it works, it's not yep. messy. So that's what we use for shrimp. You can use the old school, get like a Milo tin, cut holes in it, pull yeah. it in. But for the price of a shrimp pot, oh, 10, like, bucks, 10 get, bucks for a shrimp get trap, a shrimp, get a shrimp trap. trap. If you have access to any farm dams, you mm. can use opera house nets in private farm dams, can't mm. you? Yeah, yeah. In, New, in New South Wales, you can, Victoria, They've canned opera house pots. They've got those new ones. They've got the pyramid pots. We do have them in New South Wales as well. Um, but, you know, this, this is the part where it's really, really exciting for kids because it's teaching them the, the steps to, to, get a, to get a fish. So, you know, take the kids out, do absolutely everything. Like, I, I love sitting there and going from step to step to step to step with all my kids. So we'll go out, go yabbing. Get yourself a, a drop pot. It's the quickest way to get bait. Chuck a bit of meat in it. Um, Chuck it in your farm dam or your, your lagoon or your creek. Pull a couple of yabbies out, get the bait size, and show them what's the, what's the best size for that fish. Take them out to the river with you and get, get yeah. stuck in. When you hook a yabby, okay, so let's talk. There's so many different things we can talk about. Yeah. We'll go, I want to talk about collecting grubs in a minute. Mm. With uh, yabbies and shrimp, how should you put them on a hook? How would you display shrimp? Um, and how would you display a yabby on a hook? Okay, so for shrimp, um, I generally put two or three shrimp on a hook at the same time. So yep. I size one hook. So what I'll do is I'll put, I generally lightly pin them through the tail. I don't try to walk, make them look like walking sticks and thread them all the way onto the hook. It doesn't doesn't look very natural. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd rather, uh, when I'm using a shrimp, I'd rather a live shrimp over a dead shrimp. A, lot, a live shrimp make a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. So what I'll do is I'll get three shrimp. I'll just pin them through the first two sections of the tail. So, so, two, still... so not the first section of the tail, the second one. Yep. yep. Pin them straight through. So I'll put two back to back. So they're flicking. Mm -hmm. The third one I'll put on, I'll crush its head. So there's, you've got a bit of scent. Mm -hmm. You've got activity. And that will drive a fish, especially golden perch. They will drive them insane. You very, very rarely will get passed up by a fish. Right. That, and then with uh, yabby, how do you put a yabby on? Yabby on, there's a, there's, a, there's a heap of different ways to put a yabby on. So if you're using, like, when I'm fishing in blaring, I actually don't really like to use big live yabbies because um, they'll find a rock or a log or and, and, and then sit underneath it and they will brick you. Yeah. So I will find a monster yabby. I'll humanely either chuck them in the fridge first if you want to. A lot of people will chuck them in the fridge, freeze them, and then kill them. Me, if you put your thumb between their eyes, press down, crush their head, it's over and done with and they're dead. Um, then I will put my, say, 10 hook straight through the backside of the yabby and feed it all the way till you get to the carapace. The belly. The underside of it and feed that all the way through. And then I'll pull that hook nearly out yeah. till it's got a massive amount of gape. And my knot will basically sit inside the yabby so it won't come off. Right. If I'm using a live yabby, let's just say I'm going to go down to the river and I want to use a small one for a yabby. Yeah. Just basically the second section of the yabby tail. Now, if we're going from underneath the yabby tail yep. and pushing it back through the top. Yeah. And that yabby will sit Just there. off to the side. Just off to the side. You don't want to hit that um, intestinal line. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll kill your yabby. Just off to the side, 
pin it straight through. Once again, a lot of point exposed. Yeah. And they'll be good. Now, when you're bait fishing with yabbies, you have to sort of give them a little bit more time to get the bait down their throat. So um, we've got, the, and a lot of people, if you want a live yabby, you have to you have to pin it through the tail. You can't pin it through the head. It'll, it'll kill your yabby. But when a fish takes a yabby, he has to turn it. So he has to take that yabby tail first and they'll swallow it so they've nearly got their claws hanging out of their mouth. Yeah. So if you get that tap, 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 wait. Wait till you get that, maybe give it a bit of slack. Wait till he grabs it, sucks it down and is able to turn that yabby, then set your set hook. Set your hook, yeah. 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 So that way it actually goes in. So using your circles or your wide gap yeah. hooks with your yabbies. Yeah. Um, your technique also, what we were talking about before about moving and fishing with baits, that's mm. about flowing water, mm. different to impoundments, uh, which we'll talk on in a minute. No, actually, we'll talk on that now. If you were to fish for, say we're fishing for big cod, in an impoundment, you just explained your yabby, how you put it on the hook, how you'd fish. You'd use the same outfit that you're using for your other stuff. If you're yeah. just getting into bait fishing, you can use the same you, outfit. You, you, you could use the same. Like you, the only thing I would probably change, upsize I'd still your line. Oh, I'd probably upsize my leader. Yeah. Um, in that instance, I'd probably suggest you know, if I'm, I wouldn't run twenty, I wouldn't run twenty pound for blaring. No way in the world. You'd want something like fifty. I'd want something to forty or fifty. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, I'd probably say, listen, get yourself, you know, in that case, maybe run a swivel or learn to tie tie the back to back uni and run a foot of forty or fifty pound. If you get a forty yeah. pound you get a forty, fifty pound cod sucked down twenty pound mono. It's gonna rub, yeah. It's yeah. gonna rub. You know, circle hooks do a good job pinning the jaw, but if that line goes across that big gob yeah. Um, yeah. She's she's all over. So it, if you're over. just getting into this and you want an outfit for both, you could get away with that lighter four to eight kilo rod. Mm. But just if you're using braid, or even if you do have mono, tie your your what you would use as a leader knot, or tie a swivel and upsize your leader so you got big yeah, chunky leader. You, you want about forty pound. Leader. And then if you are bait fishing in an impoundment, low light and night is key because that's when they'll come out to feed. Mm. Now, you could do either or. You could cast a bait out and you can leave it there if you know you're in a good spot if you know you're in an area that has fish traffic has structure has rocks has an area where they feed you won't have to move it all that often no but you can you still could you can be you can be an active angler and you can sit there and work and work a bay um, but this comes down to once again how how advanced you want to go some people will look at blaring dam and they'll just go right oh, i can pull my car down there that's where i'm going to fish mm-hmm. and they can you can chuck a bait in the water and hope for the best and you might catch a fish and that might be fantastic but then it's the same as the river. You, you look at your you look at your waterway, you look at your impoundment, go right. I'm going to evaluate this where the fish are going to be. So I've got a, I might have a rocky point over here which is congregating ba- uh, food and wind into a bay. That's going to be a good spot over here. I'll look down my bay right. I've got cray holes down here. Chances are you're going to have lobsters. Cod will use this as a feeding area. I'll fish here. Yeah. So it's a little. It, you can you can sit there and soak a bait for a longer period of time as you would in the river. But if you put it in the right areas, you're going to have more success. Yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. Now let's talk a little bit. Oh, before we move on to trout, redfin, and say yellows in impoundments with lighter gear, we with um grubs. Mm. All you need to do grubbing and chipping for grubs, just as a summary, mm. is you need a body grub wire, mm-hmm. you need a super sharp shovel, mm. you need to have some strong back muscles. A lot of patience, a lot of patience. And you want, what do you want to look for? You want to look for gum trees. Yeah. They don't necessarily have to be on the river, do they? No. And you just want to look for ones... Smooth smooth bark gum trees is the ones I call. Smooth. I look, so I tend to find the smaller gum trees the better. 
um, the, the smaller round ones, the reason being the canopies are smaller. So remember that, so the Bardi grub moth latches onto a leaf, lays its eggs, and they drop straight down. Now, if you have a 60 foot round gum tree, that's a lot of surface area to work around. Because you can't pick where you they're gonna be. You can't pick where they're gonna be. Chances are the, the best thing I can suggest is the majority of the, or the majority of the wind that's going, you know, in one direction, they're gonna the, the eggs will land on the downward side of that tree. So just go off what usually the wind direction is in the area you're chipping, yeah. which throughout most of the country, the wind usually comes from the west as mm. a general rule of thumb. Mm. And if you've got a small tree, yeah. you've only got a small you've area. You've only to got dig. like a seven or eight foot circle and then start chipping. So like I said now, you're probably in from January onwards, you're gonna have like a lot of people can chip year round. It's a pain in the ass, and the, and the soil you have to chip deeper and deeper and deeper as you go along. I tend to find you don't get the quality of grubs, um, but from January to around about just about a couple of weeks before Anzac Day, mm -hmm. depending on the conditions, is your prime time. You want to only chip around about an inch at most of dirt. Yep. Like I said, a sharp shovel. Yep. And I generally do it just after a rain because the ground is softer Soft. and the grubs tend to bore, every time it rains, they bore closer to the surface. Because their holes fill up with water? No, because no? it, it's easier for them to dig in softer soil. So right. as a mature grub grows, he'll get closer and closer and closer. Because they're gonna dig back up. Yeah, absolutely. So they will so, bore. You so can what do they do there? They, as an egg, they hit? They hit, they'll bore down. But they're, a little bit or all no, the way? they'll start to bore down, but their holes are only very, very tiny. Yeah, they would so be. So they, they are constantly changing the depth of their holes. They go around, 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 all the way up. So they go up and down? Yeah. They constantly go up they're and down and keep cleaning They it. constantly move and grow. They, 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 when they first land, they don't dig a hole that's an inch No, around. obviously. So they're constantly renovating that hole. So how, because the, the, the hole is lined with silk, mm. and when you pull them out as as a grub, that they're, they're quite, I'm guessing the bottom's just as wide as the top. Mm. Do they eat their silk and then bore it and then reline it with silk or you're not sure? Absolutely no idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's interesting, eh? Because they're, they're pretty big when they Yeah, you can get you, 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 can, you can get them, you know, as thick as a freaking tube of toothpaste sometimes. You know, you can get some big grubs, but I tend to find, like, I've, I've had them just after a rain and I've literally scummed the probably first two mil of soil off and they're sitting there fixing their hole and right. I've, I've grabbed half a dozen literally just with my hands and pulled them out um, so straight after a rain they tend to work around the tops of that soil a lot a lot better and also it's a lot easier on your back um, so you scrape the leaf litter away yeah so chip chip once you chip now that the, there's an art to chipping now you could do it nearly an hour long uh, podcast on this once you chip have a look where you're putting your soil so what, what I'll generally do is I'll do my first chip and I'll do a straight line from the gum tree base, straight out, about six foot, and then my next chip is along that exact same line and I'm covering my dirt on the area which I've just chipped. So that way you're covering it for next year. Exactly right. If you strip all that topsoil away from that area, it won't be any good. No, it's it can it can stuff a row of trees. It really can. So if you've got yourself, if, and you know, if you're looking around now, now now's the perfect time if you want to learn how to chip grubs. Go around. If you see a whole heap of holes, because you'll see them, they're all exposed. They're now. all they're all exposed now. Take a mental note. Go right. Oh, this is where I need to be in January, hmm. and then start your chip. 
go along. If you find a group, chances are if you find one, you'll find about 10 mm. because that moth will have laid eggs and it will drop there and you'll, all, your, all your patch will be right there. Yeah, yeah. So, they, so yeah, now you can go around and see the tops of the holes mm. exposed and you can actually see the shells yeah. from where hatch. But when you chip, a lot of the times you get holes from spiders and all sorts of things. Mm. The reason, the way you can tell is because they're lined with silk and they're, they're damp. Yeah. Whereas ants it, it, or bugs it's, it's have just a dirt hole. It's generally a, a, a rich, uh, a dark maroon colour. Yeah. Um, and there is a way you can Can't learn. you pop? You can pop the hole with your finger. You can put it in and go. Yeah. If it makes a sound like that sound, it's got a grub. If you put, if it you do that, boom. and if it goes nothing, it's just a dull thud. There's nothing in it. Yeah. But nine times out of ten, if you look at a hole and that's got that rich maroon and velvet and it's real wet yeah it's got a grub in it and then you've got your would you prefer the the corkscrew or the the clamp if i'm using them that day i'll use the corkscrew okay so you've got so for those of you who don't know there's two different types mm. of cables there's one that has an, a corkscrew it's like mm. a spring that's been expanded yeah. with a pit like a sharp end and it's a corkscrew and the other one is a snare a snare so it's got four arms and it's got a bit of mono around it and yeah. you pull it and it squeezes them yeah which one is but does is the snare harder the snare is good if for example if i'm collecting to go fishing in two weeks time the best bait is always going to be a live bait so if i'm going to go right out i've going to go down fishing down the murray in two weeks time three weeks time i'll use the snare and i'll keep all those grubs under some loose soil and they'll keep they'll stay alive quite happily under loose soil under loose soil if I am going fishing today, I want to just grab a couple of quick grubs, go get them. I'll go down there and use the coil. I'll pull them out. If you use a coil and you're not going fishing for a long extended period of time, then you have to blanch your grubs and then you have freeze to store them. them, freeze them, store them, or put them in a pickle. Right. So, so you, yeah, so, and why would you use the corkscrew over the snare if you're going fishing that day? Because it's quicker? Well, it's, it's quicker, but also if you happen to get smaller holes, um, sometimes the cork, uh, the clamp won't get them. It, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. You, it's four bits of wire. Yeah, so if you're looking, if you happen to get really big grub holes, then the snare's fine will do that. But if you start to get the smaller and medium-sized holes, chances are you'll miss them. Yeah. So with the corkscrew, I can literally run it down, pull them I out. I use a corkscrew. I, I, like use, corkscrew. I, I, I use a corkscrew if I'm fishing. If I'm chipping a few grubs um, to, to keep for later, then yeah, I'll use the snare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good fun. It's actually like its own form of fishing, hunting the holes. It's hard work. When, but, you, but when you get them, you're like, oh yes, this is going to be fun. And then you push it down, you turn your corkscrew, and you're like, I think I've got him. And then you him. feel the pressure and you're like, Ooh. Yep. And it just slides out and you're like, oh, that's but a you, big one. But you think about it, like this is, this is going back to that hunter-gatherer sort of thing. Like when gum trees fall over into the river and they collapse into the river, all those grubs go in with it. Yeah. So it gives you an understanding of why these fish, if you see a freshly fallen down tree on the Murrumbidgee River, that any has river, any, any river, any river, just any river, and it's freshly fallen in, I can guarantee you that is a hive of activity for feeding fish. So they'll move in there to feed. Absolutely. They'll yeah. be in there fosking. If they can smell that, that fresh red soil, they know 100 in there and they know those grubs are in there. Everything comes out of that tree. You know, I'm talking about borers that live in the wood. I'm talking about grubs that are in the soil, you know. Yeah. It's it's a it's a frenzy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yes, and that, that's, that's just a bit of insight into that. So, little bit, because we've touched so much on cod, bait collecting, things like that, a little bit on trout, redfin, and if you're using a light setup for goldens in the dams, um, what are we looking at? Are we still using, are we still got the fiberglass graphite situation? If we're bait fishing for yep. trout and redfin, or are we gonna go with graphite now, because it's lighter? I, 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 I still, I still say if, you, if you're learning how to do it, still go light. I generally do go fiberglass. There yep. is some really good fiberglass, two to four kg rods. Yeah. And I generally say stick to a two to four kg rod. Okay, so two to four kilo in both. Yeah, in both. Yeah. Um, if you if you cutting your teeth, um, six foot six. Yep. Um, you can go seven foot if you want, but six foot six is a good rod because you can use it for spinning as well. Yeah. So six foot six, two to four kg um, graphite uh, fiberglass rod or graphite rod. Reels, reels are exactly the same, 2,500. And yeah. I generally go, and you, and you literally could go six pound mono on both if you wanted to. Yeah. I, know, I know a lot of guys out there who spin for trout. With mono. And still use you know six pound platypus. And they Straight just through love mono. It. Yeah, because yeah. it's easy, tied on. They've got good stretch. The fish can't throw the hook as yep. easy when they jump. So yeah, like you said, just run a mono yep. on that. Um, and then with bait fishing for trout, uh, let's say we're in a river, mm-hmm. it's quite common. A technique that I used to use a lot and still do use, and I don't know if there's many other techniques you could use successfully, is bait drifting with mm. worms. So it's basically like fishing a lure. You're active, you have to, you can't just sit there in the rod holder, so you, you're actively fishing. And all it is is casting to the top of a run with, if you can, unweighted worms mm. or... I don't know how you would do it, but I'd put a tiny split shot. Size zero split shot. 20 centimetres up yep. the line and just enough to cast. But then you want to make sure in the rib, in the spot you're fishing that it still floats without uh, getting caught in the rocks. And if it does get caught in the rocks, you just give it a flick. Mm. But you also want to make sure if you're fishing a very fast bit of river mm. quite, quite quick, you add a bit more weight if you're basically not touching rocks at all because you still want to be down near the bottom. And you just you just cast up, follow your... Follow your bait keep your rod tip high and just follow it down follow it down pick up the slack if you need to and just drift it through and the trout will just grab these worms as they float past that eh? and, and and further on down the track you know this is the exact same technique we use for glow bugging yeah for yeah. For, for 10 12 pound trout so like you said like i i went up the chimp river the weekend for last and um i got a heap on spinners uh, i spoke to a bloke who came into the shop Two days later, I said, he goes, I had to go to Chim River. I said, I've got seven. I cleaned up. He goes, I've got 18 rolling bait. Yeah. And that's that dirty water technique. And they, they found the worms really, really easy. smell it. Yeah. And it's the most natural presentation. You know, you can have a hard body lure or a spinner. Um, you can have the, the best one on the market, but I guarantee you nothing looks as natural as a worm bouncing down a rapid. Yeah. They will absolutely honker it, no yeah. matter how cunning they are. Exactly. So that's that technique. Yep. Um, you can also float or drift, say, in the summertime, you can catch grasshoppers, mm. put them on, walk up to edges of banks, or it's a little bit harder to cast it out in the middle and float it with a sinker on it, but you mm. can do that. They can go under and they'll yeah. still eat them. But what's better is to walk up in small creeks or, say, a river that's got high banks and just drop your grasshopper over the edge and let it float yep. along. And trout will come up and eat them off the edges in the reeds, in yeah. the runs. I used to use... Um, Crickets. I used to use styrofoam. Yep. Um, and I used to... Because it's nice and bright and white. Um, and I'd go down to... I either catch crickets, I'd sit there and put hessian bags out on the back lawn or on the back veranda of my house at night time, and you'd pull them off in the morning, you'd get half you know, half a dozen big black crickets, or the best bait shop ever, go to Pet Barn, they're like seven bucks for like 50. Yeah. <laughs> yep, medium-sized crickets. Put them on a size 12 hook, bait holder hook, 
Um, six pound leader under a, you know, a short dropper. Flick them out off the big rock walls. Or So what do you got? Styrofoam. Yeah. Say that, say that again. So you got the cricket on its own. No. Cricket, cricket. And you run about oh, 25 centimetres. And then what? Wrap? Wrap. Get a bit of styrofoam. Cut it to, you know, centimetre by centimetre. Yeah. And just wrap it around it about three or four times. It'll cut into itself. Cut into see? it, yeah. And just... Dead set. It's enough weight to cast. Yeah. You and just lot, get, yeah. and the thing is, not, most of the time you're only flicking it around far, about yeah, yeah. eight foot. Yeah. And you're following it with your rod tip, much like you are when you're running a worm. And I tend to find on those, on, on deep corners where you've got your trout that are waiting for a feed. In Tumut River, I, I like the, like the big rocky banks. So you can get down there nice and low. If you flick that up, and it'll just swing down nice and light. And you can run six pound mono all the way through. You yeah. don't have to worry about leading it, it's clicking along. That is a deadly approach in summertime. I've I've killed trout doing that. And the cricket sinks. Yeah, the cricket will so sink and just keep on. Grasshoppers will float, mm. but the cricket is dense and it'll yeah. sink because they're smooth. Yeah. And then you, so basically your foam is what you used to use, but you could just use a float. Hey? Yeah, like a nine times float. out of ten you can still see your cricket, and when you see that flash of silver get taken, but yeah, the, the float will just keep it up, and up, yeah. yeah, and then yeah. it goes under. Yeah, it just goes under, and you know what? It's it's good fun. It's nearly, you know, it's and once again, it's that's it's more of a hunting, and it and, almost and is. It yeah. is, and, and, and you know, it that's just, that's probably a step before you start looking into lure fishing or fly fishing, nearly too, you know. And you're keeping down low and you're sneaking up and you're flicking it up. And, you know, my dad showed me how to do that. And he used to do it in streams around Book Book um, and Ladysmith back when there was tons of trout up there. And he would do the same thing. He'd get down nice and low, small cricket, a little bit of, uh, he'd even use a, a bit of stick or a bit of timber to use his float. Yeah. He'd flick it up and he'd drift it down the run. And, you know, once again, that's also teaching you how these fish behave, how they feed. You know, it's a natural prey item coming down, you know. If, if you tied on a lure and you weren't 100% sure how that fish is going to react when you run something through it, you know, you might see how that fish come up, look at it, reject it and go away. But when you know, chuck a lure in there and you just blindly cast and bash away, if you don't have that understanding how those fish feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, 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 a, mass, it's a massive skip in your education, you know, not to get down. And I guarantee you, if you haven't done it before, do it. Yeah, it's, it's the most fun you can have, especially and going back to basics. Especially with kids or yeah, yeah, it is good fun. And then, like you said, it's like what we were doing the other day on the channel, not the other day, but summer on the channel. We were doing that same thing, but just with flies. Yeah, and we probably would have caught more if we just had had crickets. But there's no different if you're not a fly fisherman, you can't cast a fly rod. Do the same thing, but do it with grasshoppers and crickets. Yeah. Catch them. We were basically using grasshopper imitations yeah. to target those trout and it was so much fun and it's using a fly rod yeah um, but to if you if you're not at that stage yet nah do it with bait yeah catch and you know bait. If, if, if you snag a two dollar fifty fly up a gum tree it hurts you, you snag well a, the tenth one <laughs> the tenth one you 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 you're very very if a, if, a, if a, you know geez if a two cent cricket comes off it's not as heartbreaking you know yeah you know and it's not as frustrating it's a lot depending more, on how hard it was to catch them exactly right so it's a, it's a real simple it's a really really simple setup and you know it, it's something there's something about it it's it's like I said it is, it is like a, it's like a hunting game to sit there and I, I tend to find when I'm bait fishing like that it's far more rewarding than rather than sitting there and just I don't know than tying on a lure and going yep I've got one but to sit there and go right I went out I've collected my bait I've got it I've rigged it up. I've cast it out there. I've caught and I've fooled that fish. Yeah, There's yeah. something about that holistic sort of approach. It's just 
It's just awesome. It won't die. It won't die. Never, never, It never. seems to be a little bit now, though, um, with the whole lure fishing scheme and, and, and even sitting down doing this bait fishing one, I didn't think I'd have just as much fun as I've had talking about now. Mm. I really just want to go. It's a bit late, but I want to go chip some grubs. I yeah. like 10 months to <laughs> yeah, go but chip the, some but, grubs. But that's the thing. There's an air of snobbery around lure fishing where if, if you're a bait fisher, you know, you thought you sometimes even thought as a lesser. I know some 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 anglers who are lure fisher who have never ever have never ever soaked the bait, and there's an air of snobbery around it. But I can guarantee you, those anglers who have started from grassroots and learnt how to do, you know, the basics and have had a, a more of an understanding of how that ecosystem works, they turn out to be far better anglers. Mm. You have a look at some of the best anglers in the in, in Australia. They've all cut their teeth. None of them have gone, oh, you know what, today I'm going to become a fisherman, I'm going to tie on a lure. You know, they've, they've always cut their teeth starting with the basics. So I can guarantee you, yeah, yeah. Get a, you know, a far greater understanding of the fish you're chasing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and then with, say we're fishing for trout in lakes, mm. you can get quite technical with Absolutely. different baits. First of all, you can just throw a bait out there. Mm. Uh, you can put it on the bottom um, mm. and the fish will find it, especially if you're in an area where they cruise because trout don't sit still. No. So if you're in a feeding zone, a point, a bit of weed. Once again, um, finding that finding that structure. Where the bait will be, you can put the bait out there and leave it. Um, if you're at a camp, you can leave it out there or you can move it every now and then. You won't have to move it every 10 minutes though because the trout should come through and find it. Mm. So if you're camping on one of the snowy lakes or, or any lake where you can camp for trout, you can just throw the bait out there. But what what are some other ways that you can fish with bait? Because um, there's different ways of fishing. Like you're fishing a shallow, yep. weedy place that has mud eyes. There's a way you can fish probably with mud eyes. Yeah. What would you do? So the one thing I tell people who are heading up to the lakes to go bait fishing for trout, and most people will take more than one rod, okay? So the, the very first bit of advice I can give to someone is that when you have two rigs set up, and let's just say we're running two scrub worms. Yep two lightly weighted scrub worms, a size one or a size zero sinker. Once again, we're using a running sinker rig that we are using for Murray cod or golden perch. Same one you explained earlier. Same one, yep. we're just using a lighter line. I generally run about six pound all the way through. Yep. Uh, uh, the lightest amount of lead you can get away with casting. You know, these fish are very, very timid in the mouth. They, if, they, if they have a fixed sinker or, you know, feel something's not quite right, they will drop it. Yep. So, once we have our, our running sinker rig set up, we have our, let's say, size 12 hook, and I like to run small, run a scrub worm. I have two rods rigged up exactly the same. The first rod, I'll cast 30 foot out. Yep. The second cast, I'll cast double that amount. I'll run it at 60. What you'll find you'll have, if you were in a, a feeding zone where these fish are moving around and cruising, they will be at a certain depth and they will feed at that zone. So having your rods stepped. Until will, you find out where they until are. Until you find out where they are, will increase your fishing. Especially during the day, you might find that they're out in that deeper rod. During the afternoon, they might start cruising and hitting your shallower rod. So once you start to figure out that system, then bring it in. Yeah. If you want to change from a, a standard uh, running sinker fishing on the bottom, you can fish with a bubble float. You know, okay. trout are one of those species, they'll feed down low, they'll feed up high. And what kind of bait are we gonna put on the bubble float? Well, some people, have a look once again, look look around what's Still around worms? you. You can use a very lightly weighted worm, or yeah. you can use mud eyes. Now, mud, mud eye fishing in its own is an art in itself. Right. Um, it is a very, very technical way to fish, but it's probably one of the most successful ways to fool incredibly large trout. Now, 
I, I fished with mud eyes for many, many years and I sucked at it. Like it was horrible. Like I caught the occasional trout, but it wasn't until I actually learnt from a mud eye fisherman, how, and they are like literally their own sort of breed. They'll, they'll, they'll hide, what they, they won't tell you where they catch their mud eyes. They're, they're really, really hard to find. Um, but once again, if you can crack where the mud eyes are congregating and where they are, yeah, you will catch donkey trout because they'll be, they'll be hiding in the same area. So generally reedy bays, shallow bays, sometimes you can find them under rocks and logs. Once you find a mud eye, um, we generally fish them up in the water column and we generally use longer rods. We use seven, eight footers. You know, some mud eye fishermen will use nine footers. Right. Um, you know, running about a metre of litre, a small bubble float. Yep. And you know, you're fishing them in a, with the wind at your back so the, the bait is being pushed out into open water. And they're just drifting. They just yeah. drift them along. Now, yep. if you're fishing for trout and you're bait fishing for trout, the one thing I can, uh, you know, really stress is I fish with my bay alarm open. Right. I don't have my bay alarm closed. With this mud eye technique or with, just trout in general? With any, with trout in general. For lake trout? For lake trout. Yep. I generally allow them to pick that bait up and allow them to move. The only indicator I know that my bait's been taking. So once I cast my bait out, whether it be a float or a, or a bait in the bottom or an unweighted bait, I'll allow it to get to the bottom or sit on top and I'll flick my bay alarm over I'll put it in my rod holder and then I'll get a small stick or a rock and I'll place it on my line on the ground. That's it. So, so you, 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 you've, your line is coming off your reel down to the ground, onto the in ground. front of it, under that stick and then back up to your first or your bottom eyelet yep. through. and then fed through. So when that fish picks up that bait, it is allowed to move and I'll see that spool start to really start so to when you off. check you look over and see is my line still touching the ground I'm very, or is it I, up I, against example, the rod i might i might chuck a bell on at night time but you know if i'm fishing in the dark nine times out of ten i like to sit very very close to my rods especially for chasing trout because the the bites can be so finicky um so i generally run with an open spool um if you want to if you you want to chuck a bell on what i suggest do cast it out there allow it get to the bottom Pull about two metres of line so you've got a big belly of line. Slack, So yep. that fish can pick that bait up and run away with it. Once you hear your bells go, hopefully he's hooked. He's hooked. So you pull two, two length, like a big ball of line off, or not a ball of it, but yeah. bellies of line and then you get reel is engaged. Reel is engaged, yep. a nice light drag. And I suggest using a circle hook in that in that case because the fish will hook themselves. Yeah. Probably, you know, looking at a size one circle hook. And yeah, once again worms or you can use grubs or power bait and you know, yeah off you go cool there's some good tips there um when it comes to bait fishing with this i just want to touch on a couple more things we've gone for way longer than i thought but it's got so much good content <laughs> if you're using a circle hook a wide gap hook for any fish you don't strike you let them take it you let feel the weight and then you just sort of lean into the fish and yeah. do like a little lift of the rod just to get it in the corner so circle hooks they, they were designed by um offshore longliners to for the fish to hook themselves. So yep. obviously you, can, you think of you've got a, a hook sitting out in the ocean and a fish takes it and there's, there's nothing on the other end of that line to pull it and set the hook. If you actually strike with a, with a circle hook, um, it'll, it'll pull it clean out of its mouth. Yeah. So the fish will swallow that bait all the way down. As it moves off, the line will pull that hook to the corner of the jaw yep. and then it'll set. So 
when I, whether it be from Murray Cotter or a trout, what I'll do is I'll observe my line. If I start to see that line twitch and I'm starting to see a, a bite, yep. I'll take my rod out of the rod holder if it's in the rod holder or if it's, or if it's in my hand, and I will drop my rod tip to allow another two or three foot worth of slack. Yep. Once that line starts to tighten and I can see that fish moving away, and then I'll lift my rod till it's tight. Once it's, it's tight, it. then you can, if you want to do a half set to really sort of anchor it in, once you know it's there, then you can. But you don't have to. You, can you don't much start have to. The fish. You yeah. can pretty much start one in the fish. Um, we did a barrenjuck even just with carp. Were they, we were running, they were they circle hooks? I was, yeah. I was, running, I was running circle hooks. I never, I didn't set a single hook. I just basically let them do it. And they, we caught, oh, I caught like twenty or thirty carp just sitting in the bank and. I'd sit there, allow belly of line, same sort of principle, cast my bait out, let it get to the bottom, a belly of line, and once they took that belly of line and they went off, the rod loaded, the hook set, yeah. and, and I was on. And with a standard hook, so if you're using a bait holder, mm. you get bites, do so you just want to wait for that bigger bite yeah. and then you set? You want to feel that. So you'll get in, when you get a, a bite with a bait holder hook, you'll get an intermittent tap, you'll go tap, tap, and you'll go, oh, that's it, tap, 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 tap. You still don't. You still don't want to have a tight line there. Still drop your rod so that fish feels that slack, and then you'll feel that dunk, 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 that big hit. Then set your hook. Yeah. You want to feel that that really hard hit. That's his tail beats going along. He's going downstream. Then set your hook. Yep. Righto. Now before we just touch on one of the last things, I just want to talk about how you can actively fish. We talk about actively fishing in streams for trout, bait drifting. Another technique we touched on, I've touched on it with Talos before, is what his old man does, is using yabbies in the dam like a soft plastic. It's basically you have the yabby on, and you have a ball sinker running straight to the yabby because obviously it needs to act kind of like a jig head and it runs straight onto it size two is probably ideal you could your one's probably a bit light but a two uh little yabby on a bait holder hook cast out like a soft plastic obviously can't whip it because the yabby might come flying yeah. off um with this the yabbies you can do one of two things you can pin it through the tail or you can feed it along but if you want to keep it alive you just pin it mm. and then you're just hopping it or just walking it down a rocky bank just like you would a plastic yeah. and it can be deadly technique especially when you know the yellows are schooled right up. So that's just one, uh, another option of ways you can bait fish yeah. actively. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure consider. Talos's dad's not talking to Talos still about that. Uh, that little bit of a hidden gem secret. Yeah, for, for really fussy golden perch. Well, he gets 10 to 1, I think. To every one fish tail gets his old man, it's about 10. It might be 2 to 10, but it's... But that's, but that's the thing. I, I, it's because I, it's natural. I, I, used to, I used to fish for... Um, I went to Menindee once and we were chasing golden perch in a the river there. Yeah. And we had the same sort of system. We were casting out smaller weight, like literally no weighted yabbies allowing them to get to the bottom. I couldn't even I couldn't even see in this in this waterway. It was it was so turbid. And these blokes behind me were fishing with hand lines and they would sit there, allow the sink, let it get to the bottom, and they would go lift, 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 slide the line through their fingers, get tight again, lift, lift. But if you sat your yabby on the bottom, you would not get a touch. It was, it was literally maybe, like I said, one to 10 or one to 20. These guys were actively moving their bait, making it look a lot more appealing, and they were catching fish. Yeah, yeah. The amount of times that I've, I've gone either trout fishing or chasing cod, and you've moved your bait really quickly, like you've gone, oh, picked it up off the bottom, picked up a bit of slack, and allow it to drop to the bottom, bang, you get a hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that, you know, I guarantee a moving bait or, you know, something that looks a little bit more active will get a lot more love than something that's sitting dead on the bottom. 100%. Before we finish up, one thing we totally didn't touch on, which is probably critical for bait fishing basics, is carp. 
Carp are such a good fish it's to dead. catch. The gear is the same. Just want to touch on the bait really quickly. Um, there's two key baits. You've there's two key baits, and there's other variations to it because I know you've come up with your own concoctions and things like oh, that. Oh yeah. But there's corn and there's bread. They both work really well. Yep. I prefer bread myself because you can get a piece. All I do is get the bread, mold it, mold mm. it into like a bean sinker shape, yep. pretty much. Go through one, pin it through one side, turn it around, pin it through the other side. Yep. So that way it's sort of really, really well sitting on the hook and yeah. you've got a big bit of hook exposed. You need the point of the hook exposed. And that's what I love to use. Now, one thing, back to what we were talking about with the cod, being able to smell the fat content. Mm. Carp as well, rely on scent 100%. 100%. And what they smell in corn and bread and also in, in worms and all the other things, they smell the fat content, but they're also attracted to the smell of the, of the sugar. That the comes, sweetness. The sweetness of the sugar that comes out of bread and corn. So if you're going to use bread, use your cheapest white bread you can get. Mm-hmm. Don't use wholemeal bread. Same thing goes, the carp won't find the wholemeal bread. It's like the chicken breast over yep. the chicken thigh. Mm. You want to use white bread. So if you're fishing for carp, don't use the healthy stuff if you happen to have it inside. Yep. Don't use wholemeal rolls. It's going to be a waste of time. Yep. You want to use your white stuff and your corn. They're probably the two go-tos. You want to load the hook up mm. as much as you can. What is there any other baits that you would use other than worms, corn, and bread? Is that that's all you really need for carp? Oh, mate, I I I was. Like I grew up like you, we grew up catching carp to start off with when we were kids. Um, I went over to France and I had a yarn to a lot of carp fishermen over there because as you know, in Europe, it is massive over Huge. there. You know, I showed them the photos of the you know one session I did and I caught you know, half a dozen carp and around about you know, 70 centimetres long, some donkeys. And they were horrified at the things I was doing to these carp, like I was knocking them on the head and throwing them at the bank. But the baits that these guys go into, you know, if you looked at the, the most stocked tackle shop you've ever seen when it comes down to cod and yellow blue lures that's what they're like with carp bait it's crazy yeah it's nuts so you know i I walked away with a recipe for for carp bait here uh to bring back to oz um does it work oh it's insane what is in the recipe so it's like two and a half cups of self-raising flour right a packet of red aeroplane jelly yeah um there's your sweetness yeah sweetness protein powder it's got to be airplane jelly. Airplane jelly. Can't be homebrew jelly. Can't be homebrew jelly. Um, uh, half a cup of protein powder. Any. Um, any. Yeah, protein powder because they, they think that they love that protein um, compound to it. And about two tablespoons of smooth peanut butter. What? Yep, not joking. And you would mix that into it as a thick consistency. To, like I said, to the point where... You, you don't kept, need to add water? Yeah, you have to add a little bit of water just to get... Right. Once you get the dough right... And you keep kneading it, kneading it, kneading it until it's it's a thick, like it's sticky. Yep. And then you keep adding flour on top of that till it no longer sticks to your hands. Yeah, right. And that's the dough they would use for carp. And you use it? I used it. And I, it stays I, on the hook? I won um, the carpathon at Lake Albert Boat, at the boat club at Lake Albert. Um, with that? With that. Like I literally, um, I had the average catch for... Uh, people out there was probably around about seven or eight fish. Yeah. I had 58 kgs of carp by yeah. my day's end. They they love this stuff. And it stays on the hook, all right? Or is yeah, it's, it not well, as if, if, it, if it's sticky, if it's if it's sticky, then yeah, it'll fall off. But once you get to the consistency where it this no longer be, sticks to your hand, and it's firm. This be firm. That stuff and it's you can, it stinks the high heaven. It's so sweet. And, yeah. Um, and they add food dye, they add reds, and they add pinks, and they add a lot of colour to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, other than that, stuff like um, corn, um, 
Worms, same sort of stuff. Bread. That's Bread. It. That's all you need. That's all you need. And Don't if you want to get complicated. If you want to get really complicated, the only thing... Do I, what Chris just said. Yeah, the only other thing I can suggest to you if you're starting to fish and you want to, and you're chasing carp, burly. Yeah, burly, 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 burly. How would you burly? Mix sand and dirt with breadcrumbs? Yeah, I generally... Bit of corn juice? I used to sit there and... what. Especially for like, for example, Lake Hume, one of my best places to take the kids down there and just catch mm. monster missile carp. I would sit there and find a rocky point. Once again, you're finding uh, where the wind is blowing, and you'll get a, a bubble line. Yeah. And I would sit there and I get a, a can of um, creamed corn, chuck it in the bucket, a loaf of bread, chuck it into, and fill it up half full of water, and just mush it up till it's basically particles water. of bread and corn. Yeah. Every five minutes, chuck a handful in. So it's like a, it's it's like yeah right. So you pick up slop. Yeah, basically, and you throw it into the water, and, and it, it would filter to down. Smell. Yeah, they and don't it, 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 eat it. it works in the river. It works in dams. I've actually used it in in the river. Um, there's a big sandbar where I go, and where I'm targeting carp on fly. I'll use that because it doesn't fill them up. It draws them in. And once they're coming up looking for a feed, I'll drop a woolly bugger on top of their nose and they smack, and they smack it. So rather than me sitting there and walking kilometres and kilometres and kilometres looking for a feeding carp in the river with a fly rod, I'll find one big stretch, a long straight stretch with a lot of sand on it, and I'll just start chucking this in. I can guarantee you within half an hour I'll have at least half a dozen big carp cruising up this sandbank, yeah. and then I just drop woolly buggers on their head. So, yeah, so yeah. And that's something I learnt from when I was bait fishing. I learnt if I added burley, I had a better success. So I just adapted that to when I went lure fish. So either yeah. a soft plastic or a fly, rather than me, listen, I'm time poor, I've only got three hours, I'll sit in the one spot, 20 minutes of burleying, those fish will come up and I'll drop a fly on yeah, the Yeah, it's good fun, it's good technique. Uh, that is well and truly pulled us up. That was the cracker of an episode. I can't believe how long we talked for. I said to Chris, we'll probably talk for like 45 minutes about this and there goes that. But that was good. That was no, good. That was good. There's a lot of good content in there. Um, if you're listening to us right now, obviously you're keen on bait fishing and if you didn't get anything out of that, then you know more than us because <laughs> I learnt myself a whole heap in that. Well, I learnt but also brought back memories of, of bait fishing and I how I kind of want to go to Chimit River now and just chuck a cricket in. Yeah, yeah, because I remember you caught one on a black cricket on the Chimit with me yeah. back right at the start when I was chucking lures and it was a bit dirty and you know one. So that was good. Um, guys, I hope you enjoyed it. Chris, once again, thanks for talking, mate. No worries, thanks man. for Thank you. joining me on an episode and that's a, another one done and dusted, guys, so I appreciate it. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, man. There you have it, guys. Done and dusted for another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that because it did take a different angle to what we usually do. Obviously, a lot of the stuff we talk about is lure fishing. And in this one, we went back to the very basics, the bread and butter stuff. And it actually brought back a lot of memories. I enjoyed sitting down with Chris, reminiscing over the good old days. And it brought back a lot of memories for me about how my fishing started. And I hope it did the same for you. It makes you think, you know, where your journey started. Just have a think. Even where did your journey start, how it evolved and where you got to today because a lot of times we get caught up in every day what's happening now, you know, and you forget, you know, how far you've come, the memories you've had um, and that's what I love about this podcast, sitting down and sharing stories. I'm going to share a lot more stories in the future too but sitting down and talking about fishing concepts with some of the best anglers around the country, sitting down with people who I fish with all the time like Chris and, and other mates and just discussing lots of different things. It, they're all interesting and, and what I love about it is it gets you excited, you learn lots, but it also brings back a 
a stack of memories. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review for me. Um, and for us, we love reading them. Uh, we love to know what you think about the podcast and it really helps with our rankings in Apple. Before I finish up, I do just want to mention also is we have a live Q&A coming up very soon and this is going to be a very, very exciting one. So the next live Q&A, the members live Q&A is on the 6th of May and we are interviewing the one and only Lubin Pfeiffer. Now, I've had Lubin on for a podcast episode before and we're going to have him in the seat for the live Q&A where members can shoot through their questions for Lubin to answer. He's also going to run through some demonstrations and I've got stacks of questions myself to ask him. And if you didn't know, we do these every month and they're available inside the SF membership. So basically, it's the next step. It's like the next step on basically listening to a podcast. You have the opportunity to ask these people questions for them to answer basically on video chat. So we do them every single month and this next one is on only, it's only happening in a couple weeks time. It's on the 6th of May, but don't worry. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, even a year's time, six months time down the track, those live Q&As are recorded and you can go back and watch any of them. So not only can you watch that one, you can watch all of the previous ones. And we've had some incredible anglers on. Um, we've done the Q&As with so many keen anglers and you can watch all of them. They're all in a library as an archive. You can watch any one you want. Uh, but this one here will be live. It's in a couple of weeks. So if you are listening to this podcast long, long after it is gone up, if you're a member, make sure you join in on the 6th of May. That night, 7.45 p.m., I will be joined by Lubin Pfeiffer. It'll be a cracker of a live Q&A. And if you're not a member, you can become a member, not only to get access to that, to get our maps like I talked about earlier, and also to access a video, heaps of videos, but a video on bait fishing. We have a detailed bait fishing video where Chris shows you a stack that would be the perfect thing to watch after listening to this podcast if you really want to get into it. It's in there along with stacks of lure fishing content and it's expanding every single week. We're really growing it. We're getting a big community base behind it. It's getting really exciting and if you are a member and you're listening, I want to well and truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support for the membership. You're the reason it's it's there. You're the reason it's growing and I'm going to continue my best and the team at Social Fishing to put in as much content as we can for you guys. Once again, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. We have some exciting ones coming up very soon and I can't wait to share them. Thank you for listening and I'll see you soon. 